0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chat bot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: It's a real life podcast special edition brought to you by our friends at Righand Distilleries, Makers of Brum, Makers of Nation vodka, and Makers of the Real Life Podcast. We have a guest today, a very special guest, a guest with more degrees than we almost have cup wins, Dr. William Hansen, Ph.D. from the University of Alberta. Right. Good afternoon, everybody. It is another episode of the Real Life Podcast. We, this is the second time we tried to do the intro. And Dan said, hey, Wanye, try to do it again without energy like you don't care. And I said, Dan, I do care. I care so much. We have a guest in the room today. There is one, two, three, four, five, six people in here in a little brick office. that can best be described as not that hot because it's almost fall. And today we have somebody in our midst with a PhD. And for once, it isn't a court-assigned psychologist here trying to understand who the hell is in charge. It is Dr. Bill Hansen, who comes to us from the University of Alberta. Welcome, sir.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
3: Really happy that you came. You had an article in the Journal recently that got everybody here talking. And there's two reasons why we're talking. Number one, it's off-season. So they hit us with some good off-season content. You came out with some fire, and the the audience was really excited to, and, and apt to listen to anything at this point. But you wrote an article in the journal talking about how the opportunity to play matters as much as, the, as ability for athletes. And you have some very, very interesting points to make about a variety of topics. We're going to get through them in the next hour or so. So welcome to the show. And maybe we could start out by just give us a little update, or a bio, rather. Tell us about who you are and establish, it says here in my notes, establish you're an expert. Let's start with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the trick, right? Um, <clears throat> showing expertise. And um, it's interesting because I am really happy to be here and, and excited and a little bit nervous, too. Um, I'm a, a bit of a fish out of water um so uh, where are we bill don't worry like we <laughs> yeah really we have no what idea we're what we're doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> well um <clears throat> i'm not a journalist uh, i'm not on tv or anything like that uh i but i've been an academic for 22 years um as in the last seven years at the university of alberta before that i was at purdue in the u.s and university of nebraska and no, purdue is that the are they the boilermakers?
0: that's right all
1: right yeah boiler up well done boiler up boiler, boiler up <clears throat>
0: what's that mean
3: when you like go know? go boilers like oh she so like, say boiler up yeah, for yeah, go- yeah. shit that's not far off oilers boys. Yeah. yeah boiler up anything dan that's in my mixtape boiler up the completely different topic
2: <laughs> i apologize shut up you
3: shut up bag milk there's a doctor here there's not time for your bullshit so sorry Purdue's home with the boilers the boiler makers boiler makers yes boiler Boil- up yes.
1: Boiler makers. Boilers. that's boilers. right that's right yeah. Yeah. like um, to drink yes yeah yeah okay go on um, yeah. good. <clears> good so Anyway, um, I, uh, was a varsity athlete in high school. I played NCAA golf and, um, loved it and, um, went into psychology as a backup in case I didn't make the tour. Yeah. And, How close were you to making the tour? Um, there were, there were options. Really? Uh, I, I could have pursued it, but it's quite challenging and expensive. Mm-hmm. And so again, well, there's... around
3: what year would you have gone pro?
1: Uh, 92, 93. Okay, so who was coming up with you in the college ranks in oh, those days? Who was there with you? Phil Mickelson. Oh <laughs> wow! Oh,
3: just <laughs> yeah. just a little guy by the name of Phil Mickelson. Yeah. Yeah. Did a... you see him live when he oh. was like a kid? Effectively.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Um, did you know him? Like, would you no, him I, didn't, Phil, know. How you no, I no, didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know him. But what was he yeah. like in
3: those days? That's when he was in this popped collar era, right? He yeah. went everywhere with a popped collar. Yeah, he did that for a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and was everybody like well aware he was going to be the next everything, and it was just a matter of time?
1: Yes, because he had won. Uh, three ncaa titles and um uh u.s amateur i believe around wow. that time so before the age of 21 and um didn't
3: he almost win the la open or something as an amateur as a, too? As a yeah as Was an amateur a kid yeah
1: yeah and that's uh, extremely rare to uh win on tour as an amateur it's happened but it's very very rare and so um yeah well the thing is honestly um I played golf with several people on tour, mm-hmm. and I, I might shoot uh, five under 67. I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> as one should, yes. Continue on. <laughs> Throw my scorecard on the table as we're gathering after the round, and I'd be beat by four. Shit. Somebody in the group would shoot 63 or something like that. And um, so it was kind of discouraging to think that you uh, played so well and to lose, and then those guys uh, weren't making it. They, they had their card, and they played for years, but they weren't making cuts. They weren't making money. They were just living on, um, on their sponsors and stuff. Yeah. And
3: this is sort of early 90s. This is before yeah. the explosion of sponsorship dollars to tour dollars. That's right. right? That's right. So you need to make money on tour because you need to live, not I have that window-blind sponsorship I can fall back on if I don't make the cut this weekend.
1: The tour was fantastic at that time, but it wasn't as glamorous as it is now, like post-Tiger. Um, where, uh, you know, it's a really good lifestyle to be out there. But it was pretty hard back in the day, especially if you weren't one of the top players.
3: I remember one time watching a CPGA event at the Edmonton Country Club, and I was maybe, I don't know, 16. And there was this is like when every kid who doesn't have your skill but, like, thinks he has skill is like, yeah, I'm going to go pro too and get a Rolex sponsorship. And I looked at all the old minivans in the Country Club parking lot that guys were living in. And the one guy I'll never forget—he had like a curtain rod or like a, a clothing rod across the back of his old Dodge caravan, and he had all of his tour outfits pristine hung on this hook. And then he had his bed. And I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, and they were yeah. driving cross country yeah. to play
4: in all these events, and maybe if you won it, we're making like fifteen hundred dollars for that event.
1: Yeah, yeah the, month, the the like were very different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially oh for CPG. yeah.
3: And I remember thinking like these guys are living it. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, my dream right there. Yeah, like this is shit. So you, as a smart guy... Now, did you have a good mental toolkit when you were playing? You must be if you went pro.
1: Well, the, the thing was, I started really late. I didn't yeah. actually swing or hit a golf ball until I was 16. What? And um, the first time I ever played, I shot 93.
3: Oh, no. You're one of these people.
1: Oh, Natural. No. Oh, Bill. Yeah. And you got a PhD? Oh, for God's <laughs> sakes. All right. Tell no, us the no. <laughs> story. Did you get a birdie on the first hole? No. No, no. No birdies. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> but then I was just infatuated with it. And uh, within a year, I, I broke 70. Jesus, you like did Greg
4: that, Norman. How did that happen? How did you become so much better after one year?
1: It's a good question. Did I, you just work on it constantly? Yeah, constantly, yeah. You know, I, would, I worked at a golf course every summer, and you'd be there from seven to seven, and you'd hit uh, thousands of golf balls. Then you'd maybe play 36, 54, 72 holes. Um, that would be a typical day. And um, I didn't have the money or the resources for. Uh, uh, lessons and stuff, um, but I had access to that through uh, college golf and and so that helped um, but I also started doing analytics back then this is the late, on your own game yeah late eighties early nineties, just on my own scorecard i 'd keep track of everything where the ball went, how I hit it, all this stuff and so and then I would chart that over time, and that really helped a lot so too. a strong mental game at the very beginning was probably
4: a huge factor in the fact that your physical game became so much better so much quicker
1: yeah yeah, yeah. like
0: obviously you haven't you had a base level of like natural talent to start like, like yeah. this is like phenom stuff here we're listening to
1: yeah it was, it was pretty wild because i never had any interest again we didn't grow up with any money so you know golf was kind of a country club thing mm-hmm. and just didn't didn't access it i played basketball i played baseball that was probably the my best sport um, and then... Hold God. on,
3: you were better than some at something than you were at golf and you shot 93 <laughs> the first time out?
1: <laughs> well, I was so young, it's An hard to know. Embarrassment of riches, John it's, it's, it's hard to Seriously. know. I feel I'm getting I feel like I'm getting belittled here. Yeah, I feel like I'm
3: one <laughs> well, inch tall right now. <laughs> <laughs> we
4: were playing 150 rounds a year, two rounds a day. Yeah. And what I'm trying to figure out is we weren't getting better. Well, <laughs> because... <laughs> we got, we would get it down. We, so we were getting it down. We were low single-digit handicaps. Yes, but like, what I've just realized is the difference was we weren't
3: tracking anything
4: we weren't track we were no. smart enough to know how to play the game better we just were going out there yeah. and thinking that physical ability yeah. was all it took yeah, and that if I, hit go- yeah, if I hit a thousand golf yeah if i hit 1000 golf balls today that i would just be getting better but actually tracking and knowing the different ways to play the game was way more important than the 1000 golf balls on the range
3: that's right I'm starting to think Dr. Hansen has his shit together more than we do, boys. (laughs) I think think we've established (laughs) credibility here, boys.
1: (laughs) I could have used a Dr. Hansen when I was 13. We all (laughs) need one. (laughs) Well, yeah, because it's not um, how much you practice. It's how you practice. That's really the, the key thing. And unfortunately, a lot of people practice incorrectly, even at the professional level. And so I would actually love myself to get in and watch the Oilers practice just to see what's going on. Um, you want to sneak in where we do a thing where you sit on my shoulders and I wear a long trench if, coat, like we're going to go into the yeah. movies if I have to, I'll yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's
5: the only way in that
3: I'm aware of.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the, it's called deliberate practice. There's a, there's a term for it. And, and you're essentially, um, practicing with constant feedback and, um, <clears throat> you're reflecting on your own strengths and weaknesses relative to yourself. So, you know, okay, I'm really good off the tee. I'm really good putter. But from 200 out hitting a four iron or whatever it might be, that's what I really need to work on. So I'm going to spend two weeks on that. That's very different than how most people do it. Um, And also you have to know your weaknesses relative to your peers. And you have to do both simultaneously, attending to these these issues. And again, that near constant feedback, and we don't have a culture of feedback. We tend to um, not be very good at giving or receiving feedback, either as parents or coaches or whatever it might be. So it would be it would still apply
4: in hockey and any Absolutely. other sports as, as, as a father, you probably don't really, you're not like, I don't know. I don't inherently know how to teach my children that kind of way, the right yeah. style of practice. Yeah. And so how does a guy like learn about that? Like learn, you know, the right style of practice for a child? Because a lot of coaches that I've coached with, we got the basics down, helping a kid how to skate, you know, showing him how to shoot. But like you say, doing it right is more, you know, is better than just right. skating laps.
1: That's the thing. And, and um, unfortunately, very few uh, coaches or parents are aware of, of this type of uh, practice. And instead, they focus on mechanics or technique or whatever yeah. it might be. And once you have that, you need that. Yeah. But then to really get better, to be great, yeah. to be elite, it's different. And for some people, let's, let's just say in my case that I was kind of naturally good at golf from the beginning. But then to get to a level where I could do that consistently and keep improving every year, I had to in- incorporate this kind of a practice schedule. And and actually, my my um, teammates thought I was kind of weird because I would chart these things in the hallway. And a lot of people didn't want to do that because they didn't want to see how people were what they were doing. And
3: oh my good God,
1: you didn't have Excel, did you? <laughs> no. Oh no! <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking like I'm I wonder old. what he was using. And <laughs> oh my God, by paper. Paper. oh shit we didn't have cell phones we didn't have anything so oh that, man i'm telling you i'm old
3: so you were really having to like that's some significant data yes well if
1: you would have seen my scorecard you know it just it was just covered yeah. uh, with pencil marks because and i had a code for everything for sure where i hit Short the ball hand. what what happened what my score was i didn't and, and that's thing here is you can't be worried about outcome you have to focus on process yeah. that's the that's the thing and so in a lot of sport, we're always worried about wins and losses, but there's, what's the process to get to that point? And, um, <clears throat> that's where I think we need to, so were, I think were... it's
0: sorry, but bag milk, I think it's fair to say one should respect the process.
2: He's <laughs> tying our, everything in to that we're all... doing here. It's unbelievable. What the hell does respect the process? Well, we you'll find an, out sort of
3: an inside joke <laughs> in the middle yeah, of the podcast. We'll... All eight of our Stay listeners tuned. are livid.
2: So
4: you were really into like analytics when you were starting golf, and that was back in ninety three and like that stuff didn't really enter sports until kind of quite a bit afterwards and now, in a lot of sports being baseball and and like even football starting to do it a lot, but did you ever think about <laughs> taking that. And I mean, at that time, was it even a career choice for some people? Was it even out there? Did you ever take your passion for your analytics and maybe want to use that into sports?
1: That's a a really good question. And uh, I don't know that there was enough interest at the time or appreciation on the part of owners and GMs and things to really, um, dive into that or invest in it enough. Um, now this is just speculation on my part, but, um, now there are people like the university of nebraska has a um phd in mathematical statistics looking at the analytics of the ncaa players for the university Sick. which which is in my mind kind of what you need um and i love that everybody has interest in it but it, it can be kind of complicated and not just always obviously straightforward and so um th- and that's the thing like you were we we're talking about expertise and stuff Experts, what they do is they see patterns that other people don't see. And so if we go out to the range right now, I could watch you all swing and hit balls and have some sense of maybe what's going on, what your strengths and weaknesses are, what you might shoot. Because I have that background. I have some expertise in that. The same thing when I look at analytics, when I look at the data and there's so much of it, there's too much. because We're washing data. What's that? We are awash in data. That's cars. right. Yeah. That's right. It's overwhelming. And people can grab stuff and fit their narrative. And in statistics, we might call that like fishing. You're just basically kind of grabbing things and um, moving forward that that fit your narrative. But they may be, might be meaningless. They may not really relate to things that matter, like important processes or, or outcomes or whatever it might be. And a really contentious one, and I'll just throw out there, is face-off wins. It, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not... particularly related except on the pk so if you're winning um uh face-offs and getting the puck out of there that helps Mm -hmm. but the other ones it's a little bit it's a little bit over discussed in some ways you know when they say oh they got a terrible face-off win percentage or whatever oh
3: man we should do another episode of this where we like Destroy all the hockey advanced analytics, and you're
1: like, with the weight of all my degrees,
3: course he is crap. And we'll be like, oh man, we're smashing shit in real life this week. Let's take a break, boys. We'll come back. Dan, you got your finger in the air only one minute ago, and we're already going to break. You know why? We have a guest. I'm trying to impress you. All right, we'll be back after this real life podcast.
5: SumoJerky.com. You've been through the gas station. You've seen all the flavors: teriyaki, black pepper. Maybe extra hot, sweet chili. That's about as exotic as it gets. But if you subscribe to Sumo Jerky at sumojerky.com, check them out online, enter your preferences. They source out the finest small batch handcrafted maw and paw jerky from all over the world. They have all your favorite flavors, but it's high-quality, handcrafted versions of your favorite flavors, and they get exotic as well. Exotic jerky from exotic animals, or play it straight and stick with beef. Enter your preferences at sumojerky.com. It shows up once a month. Deliver it as a gift if you like. Have it sent to your work for a little pick-me-up during the day. Sumojerky.com. Follow them on Instagram at sumojerky for pictures of their meat. Or sign up for the service yourself, sumojerky.com. Once a month, meat delivered right to your door. It's the home delivery service you didn't realize you need until it started showing up. My favorite day of the month is Sumo Jerky Delivery Day. Sumojerky.com to get started.
3: We're back. Real life podcast brought to you by our good friends over at sumojerky.com. The number one beef jerky club on earth and delicious, delicious treat for everybody who subscribes. Check them out at sumojerky.com. We're in the office. There's 10 people in here. If there's 20... And we're talking this week with Dr. William Hansen from the University of Alberta, and we're going through what I think is going to turn out to be a really good show, talking about different elements of the psychology of sport. So, Dr. Hansen, what we'd like to talk about now is when you came to Edmonton and sort of where you'd come from and when you got here and what did you notice, and then we'll talk about that until we run out of breath.
1: Yes, and um, I moved here in 2012, and so this is year seven. And that's crazy that 2012 was seven years ago. Quick yes. aside. <laughs> yes. yes, 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 Jesus. All right. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, um, <clears throat> I came here in part because of the university of Alberta and, um, I have a, a side interest in gambling, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. sports gambling, like rigging it or participating in it
3: <laughs> or studying the effects of its detriments.
1: Mostly, um, the involvement of NCAA athletes and gambling. Uh, because there's a zero-tolerance policy yeah. in the U.S., yeah. and so especially with sports betting, and yet uh, it seems to be quite an issue, uh, but no one talks about it. Interesting. So, um, but and, and in Canada, gambling has a, a much better funding system uh, for university-level research. Uh, and here we have the Alberta Gambling Research Institute, AGRI, which is uh, known uh, around the world, and, and so that was a big draw here. Plus, I've always been... Um, had an affinity for Canada, and for <clears throat> the culture and the values, and uh, also the Rockies, which I thought extended all the way to Edmonton. Ah, yes, we tell people that in our pamphlets. <laughs> That's you right. You can see
3: it from downtown.
1: When I was flying in for my interview, I kept looking around, thinking, "Where, where are the Rockies?" I thought it would be like Calgary what time of year did you fly in for your interview it was in April okay we tricked you a little bit yeah yeah yeah, it was kind of brown and gray everywhere yeah (laughs) that's all right but but I love the university and um, then my wife actually my uh, girlfriend at the time moved here uh, from central coastal California which was a big change interesting yeah from San Luis Obispo and um, then we got married in Banff in 2015, Same and we have nice. we have we were inspired to have uh, two children. Yes, uh, because of Canadian culture and our relationship and everything else, and so it's. What been,
3: about Canadian culture inspires someone to have two
1: children? I think you have a chance here. Kids have a chance, and in the U.S., it's it's an incredibly uh, rough time right now to raise children, and uh, <clears throat> schools are underfunded, for example, and the healthcare system is kind of a mess. So. Uh, I don't want to get too political we're or We're good. No, but, no, no, no. We're on no, the this winning is making me feel going. really good. This, yeah, right. this, know we're
3: on the right end of the border. It's all th- good.
1: Yeah, this is... Uh, both my wife and I wanted to move here, and she's also a psychologist, so we have great conversations about all this stuff.
3: When the psychologists start fleeing to other countries, <laughs> that's the canary in the coal mine. Hey? Yeah. People were
1: like, wait a
3: minute, we understand what this is doing to our psyches. Yeah. <laughs> we're moving to Canada.
1: Yes, and, and Alberta... In general, has just a fantastic quality of life. Uh, it's a good place to live and work, uh, despite the weather. Uh, the weather isn't really the issue. We we know that's not necessarily predictive of happiness. And anyway, um, but um, we got here. We're settled in, and uh, we just love it. We absolutely love it. I have um, become enamored with the Oilers. Okay, and, now we're getting to the good <clears> stuff, Dad. Um, here we go. So you moved to Edmonton. So moved to Edmonton, and you're and,
3: turning the TV to one of our three channels, and they're all watching simulcast of Oilers games. Is yes. That what happened? Yeah. How did you get onto the Oilers? To well,
1: we we'll get this is this is interesting. I was living in uh, West Lafayette, we're at uh, at Purdue University, and um, a show came on called. Uh, Oil change. Oh my God! You oh, didn't start
3: with oil oh, change, did you? That's what hooked you. Oh no! But damn I it. Oh no! Oh
1: now, God, that, which season? You drank the Kool-Aid too, like no. I did. Oh no! Well, well, all I know is I thought it was interesting that um, here I'm, I already had accepted the job and I knew I was going to be moving up here, and this was on in Indiana, and I thought, oh, I'm going to watch this. That's and, really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. yeah, you, you watch ESPN. It? No, I it thought was... they just showed Hoosiers nonstop. Yeah, yeah. that's, right. that's what, right. What channel was that coming in on? I'm not sure. One yeah. of the cable channels. Okay. It wasn't a regular network. So you became a regular watcher of oil Oh, channels? yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I, I just, oh just, no. I was trying to get a sense of the
3: culture now. Sure. I don't know if,
1: if it is. Well, um, here's what's
3: painful about oil change for us. Yeah. We lived oil change. We're Oilers Nation. We lived it morning, noon, and night. And to have a show encapsulating the futility of a show called Oil Change when nothing changed. Mm. And if you made fun of it on Twitter, they would block you. Was so like counter what a show called Oil Change would be about. Yeah, that's that's right. why we cringe. Because there's yeah. some episodes in Oil Change where like Bit players are asking for a fourth year on their deal and the GMs are like clicking their heels together and saying like, the rebuild's almost over. Yeah, they believe. They believe in what we're doing. And then they served up another hot, steaming pile of garbage, as you know. But what? So the, so you come to Edmonton, you're a fan of Oil Change. Were you into Hall? Were you into Eberly? Were you buying <clears> the whole.
1: Yeah, and. and- Interestingly, uh, growing up in Nebraska and playing all kinds of sports, hockey wasn't um, particularly popular there. It is obviously in Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, and, and so forth. Um, but I've always been fascinated with it. And I actually love the North Stars, Minnesota North oh, Stars nice, at the time. Nice. With uh, Madano and...
3: Tenority In those? Blues. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then when they moved to Dallas, that was, that was really upsetting. But <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, so I was excited. And also, I'm, I, my family lives in Arizona, so I'm a Coyotes fan. And, um, but I was excited to come up here and be a part of, of um, Oiler Nation and to see what it was all about. And, and I was hooked right away. I've watched over 500 Oilers games the last six years. You are very thorough, sir. Almost, almost everyone. Um, You probably actually know what's wrong.
3: (laughs) Oh no, he's going to tell us. I know. (laughs) I'm scared. Don't tell us that things were worse than they are in the oil change days or we won't be able to handle that. Yeah, 500 no. games in, in seven years. Five or uh, six years? Six years. Seven, six six years.
1: years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically all of them. There's just been a few I've, yeah. I've missed. And during this time, I've also uh, uh, been interested in the analytics literature. And what's interesting is there isn't much uh, research on analytics. Uh, by research, I mean um, looking at it from a scholarly standpoint, publishing it in a peer-reviewed journal. And seeing what really matters. And, but I found some stuff, some theses and, and some published articles. And uh, so I, I was melding all these interests and I, I wrote a few op eds, and you mentioned one of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they've gotten a little bit of attention from some fans. And, and so it's been a, a nice mix for me. And um, one thing I've noticed is that people here are extremely knowledgeable and passionate about hockey about the Oilers and about hockey, and there's such a long tradition back to the 80s and the heydays of everything. And it really did remind me of Nebraska with the uh, football run that the Huskers had. They didn't lose for like two or three years at one point. In what decade? That was in the 80s, 90s. Oh, yeah. And uh, won five NCAA championships. Oh, and oh, we they've, won five. They've been sold out. Well, yeah, they've, uh, the Oilers and Huskers have won nine and ten division titles respectively. Like, There's all these weird Interesting. coincidences. You guys didn't have a show called Oil Change, did you? We did. No, <laughs> it was called corn change. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guy Popcorn. named Tyler Hill like who was going right. to fix our team.
0: Tyler Hill. <laughs> now I picture Nebraska being like the Saskatchewan of the United States. Just good salt of the earth people.
1: Yes. Yeah. And hardworking, um, very caring people, kind and considerate. And I actually saw a lot of parallels with here too. Um, oh, that's awesome. and I haven't been to Saskatchewan. But I did see that here in Alberta. And so, again, it just, it just fit for us. And we, this is part of why we were inspired to have children and everything else, even though I'm an older dad. And, um, but what, and what I've noticed with the Oilers here is that it's part of the city's ethos the, and the character of, of the city. And it's also tied to the fans' identity, personal identity. It's a big part of that. And what we know is, have you ever heard of something called a berg, B-I-R-G, berging? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I have bas- a
3: sex joke, Charles, to tell, but there's a doctor here and I won't it. <laughs> Don't tell do it. it. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's the move you do when you, nope, No, nope, not at all. Okay, true.
1: Um No, it's actually uh, basking in reflected glory. And so basking. when our team wins, when our team wins, we say things like, um, we played great last night. We, we take ownership of it. We played great. When our team loses, we say, Ah, they didn't have it last night. They, you see how they separate we and they. So if you have a long streak of losing seasons like the others have had, it's a lot of they. It's a lot of they. You start to distance yourself, even though you are emotionally connected to them. And that's really, really hard. And what people do is they will actually cut off um, reflective failure. It's called burging and corfing. Quirking is Corfoon. a terrible, terrible name. But cutting off reflected failure. And then what happens? You see people throw their jersey on the ice like they did when Scrivens grabbed it and th- threw it back. <laughs> that open. was good
3: fun, though. That was a- <laughs> hey, boys. Those were fun days.
1: Oh, God. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, the, it, it, I could see where people would have a hard time kind of dealing with this over time because you rely on the Oilers in a way to sustain you. You know we're we're pretty far north, 53rd parallel, um, one of the northernmost cities in the world with a professional um, team, and um, people care. They care. I'll tell you one of the, I've been to a lot of different sporting events, whether it be um, Super Bowls or NBA Finals or MLB um, championships, and uh, March Madness, which is huge. You know those games. And game five versus the Sharks, the overtime win, I was there with my mom. And that, I would say, would be one of the top two sure or three most intense and exhilarating experiences of no my, of my sports life. Oh, yeah. I got goosebumps, too. Yeah, remember. me, too. I
2: was also in the building, and it was ridiculous. Unbelievable. And, Unbelievable.
1: And, and if, you, if you remember, it took us, the game didn't get over until like 1 a.m., and it took us an hour and a half to get out because everybody was high-fiving the whole way out now down the escalator. That had first playoffs yeah. in,
3: what, nine years? Yeah. yeah. So we were rusty, too. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of celebrating. <laughs> we hadn't had yeah. a, anything to pent- like oh, There was energy, a lot of yeah. pent-up yeah. energy going yeah. on. That there, was one of your top three sporting events.
1: Uh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, the intensity. Here, here's how intense it was. Um, the next day, um, we found a, a soundbite of Jack Michael's uh, call of the overtime of Desjardins, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, know, man, was that a goal. When he, when he scored... And my mom started crying. Like, just this is our sports family. You know, we're all, at, we're all athletic. My sisters played volleyball in college, all this stuff. So anyway, we, we just love sports, and we can appreciate it. But that, that's, I think, how a lot of people here feel. Oh, yeah. You know, there's just that connection. Yeah, so
4: it. I agree with you. And so when I went through it, like we established on the last podcast that I kind of lost interest. And so there's kind of, like you say, the identity of most sports fans in this city is how the Oilers are doing. Now when most people went to corfing or some people did I kind of went to avoidance. I stopped I stopped watching. I stopped just making it my identity, I guess, right? That's right. So I was able to do that mostly because I mean I did have children and I got busy. But if I didn't have that to help me with the avoidance, like what could I have done to stop the act of corfing in your in your opinion to not like to try to just like separate it, not making it my, my identity, still caring about the Oilers, but not having to totally pay, like avoid everything to do with them.
1: Yeah, that's a great question and really challenging. And, and there are measures of kind of fan motivation and fan behavior and stuff. And I, I was the same way early on um, where part of my identity, part of my social network, my self-esteem was based on how Nebraska did. And if they lost, uh, that was a real downer. It affected everything, even my work at school. You know, my work life, my school life, whatever it might be. And <clears throat> now it has changed. I've, I've gotten quite a bit older. Um, and now I do see it as a little bit more entertainment and escape, so it's a little bit easier. But for that diehard fan that it's part of their self-esteem, it's really, really tricky. Hi, I'm
3: Wanye. I'm exactly who you just described.
4: <laughs>
3: Pre- yeah, pretty much down to my molecular level. So when you're talking about being a fan of a team, identifying, uh, identifying as being a fan of a team and having it affect your overall morale, I think your, our eight listeners that ha- we have right now, seven of them are going to identify it that's very strong. Yeah, it's because
0: the eighth one's right here. Exactly. <laughs>
3: and there is a very hardcore cloud hanging over this city that even Connor has had a hard time chasing away. Like, I talk to Oilers fans everywhere I go, right? I just bought my new Oilers hat for the year. I will get a new hat next year, until every year, until I'm dead. When you run into Oilers fans, and you're like, they're like, I've just checked out. They're fucked. I'm like, really? Now is when you're checking out? I'm going to give 21-year-old Connor McDavid a third kick at a cat for a consecutive scoring title? But there are people... I swear, I've seen them online. We've seen these people, like good friends of ours, who the grind of the last decade has worn them down to such a nub that good Oilers fans are throwing in the towel and saying, I just can't do it anymore. And the lineup for season tickets this year is the shortest it's been, even though they're not going to tell us this, in 20 years. Not 20 years, 10 years. Probably 10 years. Yeah. For sure at the new building, right? So what do you think that – what do people do? is this just a natural function of psychology? And with a couple more winning seasons, things are going to get better. What we'll do, we'll go to a break. Dan's got his finger up. I assume he's meaning he's number one. (laughs) It's good to be number one. It means all your fans don't have problems with their morale. We'll be right back after this real life podcast.
5: Alberta is where you find hardworking hands, where prairie grown rye meets mountain spring water, where we pull dragons from the ground. And we choose rig hand distillery. Vodka, whiskey, gin, and more. Righan is made from Alberta grown ingredients, locally distilled and distributed. It's a bottle of Alberta. Ask for award winning Righan in your liquor store and visit Righandistillery.com.
3: We're back. Real life podcast. We're having good break chats here today. We are sitting around. We're chatting with Dr. Hanson about all sorts of interesting things. And then we remember that we have a podcast to do. And irony of ironies, we could have been recording all of those conversations <laughs> and the show would almost be over. But no, we're going to go back to where we were talking about before the break, Bill. And we we're talking about you coming to Edmonton as a big Nebraska sports fan and observing Oilers fans in all their glory.
1: Yes, and uh, it was fantastic to, uh, right off the bat, um, get, get a few tickets to games and start going and seeing the culture and the environment back at Rexall, and uh, the history of that place was fantastic, and, <clears throat> but we weren't winning. So this is 2012. 2012. Yakupov year. Yakupov year. Yakupov. So we're like, Yakupov's the
3: answer. The slide. You saw the slide? Yes. After his first goal. That was something to see.
1: Yeah, that was pretty amazing. I like the enthusiasm. I know a lot of people didn't really like it, but...
3: We're uh, all kind of nail Yakupov fans in this room. We think the oil kind of stitched him over and he didn't get a good...
0: Uh. we don't think uh, that? I do not. Jay's off Team Yakupov. I love the energy that he brings in terms of... uh, his personality, but I don't think he is ultimately. Now, are you talking right? about
3: 2018, Jay,
0: or 2012, Jay? Well, 2012, Jay drank, well, in any current year, Jay drinks the Kool-Aid yeah. of the season in front of him. Exactly. So, Yak was the answer.
3: Eric Belanger believes. Eric Belanger <laughs> negotiates <laughs> that <Next> fourth year because <laughs> he believes, now I believe.
0: So, Yak slides, I love it. Yeah. He scores 17 goals in 48 games. He had it. I love him. Love him.
2: One thing I wanted to ask just real quick is you mentioned right away that some people loved the slide, some people hated the slide. What do you kind of make of that? Because I was one of the people that I love it. I love when pro athletes show personality. I like when seeing who they are. I find that robotic uh, answers to questions like you see from a guy like Crosby or something, I find it boring. Because you know there's more there, but they've been so coached for so long. This is how I answer the question. This is the cliche I give. So what did you kind of think of a guy just in the moment showing personality and then just the split in how people reacted to it?
1: Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I loved it. My wife loved it. Um, she ended up getting a jersey after. Of Yakupov? Uh, yeah, We're 64. That's how you, you cool. <clears throat> That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You guys are
3: legit Oilers fans. We'll get yeah. to that in a moment. You're ticking all my boxes. Keep going.
1: And um, I agree with you, especially regarding the interviews, like between periods and stuff. Um, It's almost like, have you guys seen the movie Super Troopers? I've also
0: seen the second one. Have we seen the movie Super Troopers?
1: Best
4: first 10 minutes of any movie is Super Troopers first 10 minutes. No, that's hilarious. I can't pull (laughs) over
1: any (laughs) further. I
0: I don't know how they did it again, but there is like a five to seven minute clip in Super Troopers 2 where you're just like, how the fuck did they just pull that off? Yeah, it's It's amazing. amazing. (laughs) I was tricked. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, so so you know then about the meow.
3: Oh, yeah, right now.
1: Yeah. yeah. I almost wonder if that's the case with the NHLers and uh, saying obviously. Oh, yeah. It's like there's this count because they'll say obviously um, seven or eight times in a one-minute interview.
3: Is that all pro sports or just Oilers?
1: I've noticed um, – NHL, but specifically okay. Oilers. I, yeah. I don't know. It's
3: like media training and when you get drafted. Like, yeah. Here's the word, obviously. And no, you, 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 you
1: do have training, for sure. Even as academics, we have training in terms of the media, which is partly, again, why I was a little nervous coming on here, because oh, it's, we're it's so media. different. We're the opposite <laughs> of people who know anything. Um, <clears throat> but, but yeah, I, I, going back to your question, I like, um, think it, it's really important. And I've, I've heard this interesting kind of criticism of Subban. Because he shows personality, he has personality, and I, I love it. I think it's really important and to not hide that. And because for me, um, you need to be genuine. And so they, they can't be all kind of flat. And I, I don't want to say boring, but just this is not possible. And so I would like to see more of that.
4: Genuine is probably the most important part, because you see guys like Yak, who's genuine. But then you see guys like J.J. Watt. Kind of Mm -hmm. seems like he's produced. Mm -hmm. There's other players that can seem like they're produced. Do
0: you think JJ Watt is fake news? No. Oh, okay. Yes, I do for real. Oh, you do?
4: No, no, no. Not that he's fake news. Oh, you think he's? I think he's legit. How is everything so perfect? How is everything that he does? How in Hard Knocks when they every year all they do is focus on the people that are most likely going to get cut and the coaches. He his year he's out there throwing footballs, catching him while the sprinklers are still on in the morning. He knows what he's doing, oh, yeah. right? And no, so it doesn't seem genuine. Yeah, but yeah. that's the thing, mm. and that's why people turned on him. Yeah. Some people do. It's like
3: that bastard Brooks-like. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> that's fake news. Anyway. Washington Capitol driving okay. down the road, but fixes yeah, the tire of the wearing oh. his jersey. Yeah. Oh. So,
4: But when you talk about it's in your extreme. piece that when, when you're in Nebraska and the Cornhuskers are revered by their fans, and they have a decade where they don't do so well, they don't take the type of criticism that Oilers fans do. They are still revered. They're still, you know, people treat them well.
1: Absolutely, and it's a real unique culture because the games have been sold out since 1962, and so you get 90,000 fans every week, every week. And when Nebraska loses at home, the fans all stay till the very end, and they stand and cheer the team that won. The other team.
0: What?
2: So they don't boo Holy them off the shit. ice? and. Uh,
0: oh, I don't think I could seen. ever have that kind of class because it's Oilers or nothing. They cheer the opponent wow. team off. That's good. Team. See? They are the Sasky of the States.
2: Do you yes. think there's any part of it maybe that because the Cornhuskers have a shorter season that there might be something to that? Well, I'm just thinking about maybe two, three years ago when the Oilers were out by, you know, essentially Halloween. I remember us having an event at the Pine on Halloween. They lost horribly to Calgary. They scored from behind the goal, li- the behind the goal line for the winner. And I don't know if I've ever seen the mood that low. But then we have to think of another four months of a death march to get through. Whereas you know, in college football, seasons aren't nearly that long.
1: Yeah, and and it's actually colder here than in Nebraska too. And Nebraska's got tough winters, but it's, <laughs> it's it's not minus thirty or forty. So that definitely plays a role in terms of the 82 games. Um,
4: Does it have to do with money too? The fact that they don't get paid. And so when you buy a ticket, you don't go in and start getting mad at the guy because you think ticket prices are so high because he's making so much money and he's not performing. Whereas in here, the more money you make, it almost seems like the more pressure we put on you, which is counterintuitive to what we actually want this player to do.
0: Is is <laughs> well, this is going off the rails, but still on topic. There you go. Uh well, a lot of college games are dry. Do they serve booze in uh Nebraska in the stadium? No. Uh if so the follow up question is how much do they charge for a beer? Yeah. That also pains chaps my ass and the team sucks. <laughs> you paid fifteen bucks for a beer.
1: It's dry, but tailgating starts at noon the day before. Oh my god. Yeah. So it's a full twenty four hours, so People don't, shift. people don't need anything. How do they even they have any be- energy for the game? <laughs> yeah, no, there's lots of, lots of energy and enthusiasm. And what's interesting, too, is 90,000 people, and, and when the Huskers are on offense, it's quiet. Yeah, you, yeah. Ha- you have that many people because everybody's concentrating and wanting them to focus and be able to hear and yeah. call the plays and change plays. Um, but on defense, you can't hear anything. Yeah. You know? So, it's, again, it's this commitment, this is, uh, fever in some ways, of feverish pitch of uh, enthusiasm, which is pretty remarkable. And <clears throat> it, it's, it's been interesting coming here because I, I do wonder how there can be so much doom and gloom at times, like you say before Halloween or before U.S. Thanksgiving, um, like our seasons in the tank, were done because I, I always, I I'm, I'm, tend to be idealist. And an optimist. And so trying to think, okay, well, we can make some changes. We can get better. I think that
3: that's one of the problems of being an Oilers fan for the last 11 years is we had those years, right? From, like, 06 to, like, 11, I feel like Oilers fans were still in the mode of, like, we're one trade away. We're one guy overachieving away. We issued a t-shirt one time saying we had 99 problems, but a goalie ain't one. And my God, were we ahead of the curve on that? We still had many problems, and the goalie was one. Hmm. I feel like with Yakupov, a milestone was reached where we're like, holy shit. We could get every first pick overall until the end of time, and we're just going to fuck their careers up, put them on a line together where they all won't pass to each other, and the character of the team started to decay.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, interestingly, um, Kruger had some success. And he had a very different spin. I don't know if he has a hockey background, really. Does he? What, isn't he doing soccer? Yeah, now? yeah he's, 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 he's soccer. He's yeah. doing
2: soccer, no, but he coached a lot in Europe. Yeah, he did yeah. a lot of the coaching yeah.
1: there. Um, but he had a very um, positive spin on everything. You couldn't hardly get a criticism out of him, yeah. which I found fascinating. Because it was still, I knew this was right around that time, everything was delicate. And um, so I, I admired him. And he was, I think, on the shortened season, right? Yeah. And then was let go. By
0: Skype, uh, via Skype. Yeah, really. Oh yeah, they I didn't
1: did. even have the courtesy to do it in person. They skyped him, and even then, you didn't hear about it from him. You know, no. like, he. Oh have... no, never. Classy, classy. Yeah, unbelievable. And and this is the thing. So coming here, all the feedback I've gotten from these few pieces, these op-eds, or interacting with fans or people on campus is still quite positive. Yeah, and so I do believe there are some. Um, strong critics out there and that could have a little bit of toxicity to actually infect this Oilers Nation system. So do you think
3: that like very loud negative people have an impact on big groups of fans? Mm,
1: Maybe not in terms of changing attitude or behavior or their passion for the Oilers, but it affects the experience. It affects the experience and, and I'll see some comments and I can, I can talk a little about comments and papers and online and everything too. But um, <clears throat> I just think there's, there is that element and to, to your point about the pro versus uh, amateur thing. One thing that I find really different here is that many people see themselves as a, G, a GM or a coach. And so that's not the case
3: in
0: Nebraska. no,
3: you know, there's really? No, there's
1: no discussion of where a player should play or what. Really? None of that. That no.
0: passion about the team and no one's an armchair quarterback. No. Wow. And they'll, they'll armchair say
3: things team. should that's have been that different. 48 hour tailgating talking. <laughs> that's right. Wasn't the coach? Well, you shut up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, but, but I, I think that's part of it. Cause as, as pro athletes, you're always worried about the cap and things like that. So they, they'll assign value to players and, and positions. And I'm not a big believer in making assumptions like that of, oh, well, they're a fourth-line grinder um, or energy player. I'd rather have higher expectations for everybody across the board. And um, they matter because the expectations matter. And I also see, a little bit going back to the analytics, that some people are kind of misusing some of them, um, misinterpreting them, I should say. So they're not intentionally misusing, but um, they're, again, using it to to shape their narrative or to reinforce their narrative.
3: So on that note, we just spent a bunch of money this summer on machine learning, right, Jay, mm-hmm. to develop a player score to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt how dominant Connor McDavid is. Correct. Yes. what that cost us?
5: Oh,
0: real talk, real money, real talk. Uh, I don't know, about $15,000. <laughs> Are we
3: crazy to have spent $15,000 with some data scientists in the States to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Connor McDavid is awesome. No, you can do that. Okay, good. Yeah, Yeah. okay, yeah. We've run out of ideas of how to keep busy.
1: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Let's touch on that for a moment. I think you brought up a really interesting point with pros versus amateurs. There's a lot of debate online about, you know, do players earn their money? And one one of my most hilarious arguments you see is when people will be like, oh, Milan Lucic makes... $5.5 $5.5 million? Six, million $6 million. $6 million U.S. Do you know how many firefighters we could hire with that kind of money? As though there's like a department of trade-offs where you're like, go hire another fire battalion and make the professional athlete work for free, right? And in Edmonton, because it is a very blue-collar city, people measure... One thing I love about Edmonton, people measure dollars here in terms of ergs of effort. Right. So you're like 10 grand. And one guy's like, you know, how many pipes I have to wrench. And another guy's like, you know, how many boards I have to nail. And another guy's like, you know, how many colts I have to deliver. But no one's like, oh, that'll come from the family trust. Right. So people going to Oilers games aren't betting with their works dollars. They're not betting with their inheritance dollars. They're betting with, I'm going to get Oilers tickets and I'm not going on vacation yeah. this year. And the bathtub in the basement that leaks ain't getting fixed. So I think people are a lot more personally invested in players around here because this is a city largely of normal, hardworking folk, much like Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So to hear that they aren't second-guessing the coaches and the GMs, like, well, how the hell do they prove they're right and the team's wrong? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What happens to the average guy who is a high-performance athlete and he's arrived in the NHL and he's gone through his entry-level contract and he gets a truckload of money dumped in his lap? What happens to the average person's psyche when that happens?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... That's a good question. Because um, we had, we had obviously, Leon
2: Dries that'll add probably a slower start last year. Do you think that there's like a very solid correlation between him getting that dump truck of money just started last year on July 1st and a slow start, maybe adding more pressure to himself or something like that?
1: Well, pressure definitely affects performance at, at any level, um, whether it's uh, little children, small children, or uh, world class athletes, even. Um, we've seen that throughout sport so it, it can affect it and then think about the enthusiasm after game one last year after with uh the flames three mm. zero and mm-hmm. i was just i was at i was mesmerized that was a systematic
0: beatdown like we yeah. beat them uh, in every stat line like that's it right was just like
1: controlled it was no stress it was just like holy fuck like we're back at it yep and i thought i thought wow they're better than the year before yeah and this is going to be a dominant team that um, is going to kind of, you know, have their will, impose their will on teams, and and then right away at ten games they were losing record. That's when you see the this pressure then build up, and it's going to leak somewhere in the pipe system. Like it's just gonna it's just gonna break somewhere. They have these huge contracts; these expectations are through the roof.
3: Expectations that players
1: put on themselves once they sign those deals. Yeah, right? that and the Oilers nation, everybody is oh wow we're we're heading to the cup and they were cup favorites right.
3: So to get back to it, when a guy like Milan Lucic comes to town with his muscles and his grimace and his stellar track record to date, and we've been asking for Milan Lucic to come to Edmonton since about 2011, bag milk, and he finally he arrived. We're like, here we go. As a psychologist. Walk us through what's happening, probably, in a guy like Milan Lucic's head, where all of a sudden he's getting millions of dollars to do something he's not doing. Like, he knows it in his head. I think fans who are paying with their own money say to themselves, like, well, he doesn't give a shit. That's what's going on. But, like, the number of pro athletes that don't care about what's going on is zero. Yeah. Perhaps Nail Yakupov in his final career. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, walk us through that.
1: Yeah. It, no, they, there's a, a tremendous amount of pride and heart um, from these players. And, uh, it, it just, when you start spiraling down like that, it's really hard to get your footing and to come back. And especially then, cause you're under the microscope. And so, uh, in Edmonton in particular, like everybody's just on every little thing. Um, and this is one of the things I was going to say about kind of maybe massaging or correcting a little bit. Some of the, um, psyche of the city in some ways is I think we have to remember, first and foremost, and this is just a basic code of ethics of um, sport or um, even journalism or media or whatever, is having a sense of humanity, that they're people, and they're not machines, they're not robots, and they have a lot going on. They have a lot going on. Um, Kurt Levins, I think, wrote a good article about Lucic and everything that had been happening in his life last year. Now, I don't know if that's true, but external factors matter. They matter just like internal factors. I also think we have to have a sense of humility as fans and an appreciation for the talent and the ability these people have and what they're doing and not get too, um, too focused on any one thing because it's a, it's a system thing. And I, I don't know about how you all feel about this, but I'd like to see um, – Whenever anybody writes or thinks about these things, to have a little bit of a mix in there, not just criticism, not just positive either, but a little mix. What do you think they did well? What didn't they do well? And then also the team aspect, team and lines, not just individual players. You can't just plug and play. That's not what the system is. In any, in any uh, sport like hockey or football or basketball or whatever, it has to come together in some ways. It just has to. But I'm okay with extremely high expectations and, and having demands. You know, we, we want a good product. We want that. That's okay. But uh, you, know, you don't have to be quite as critical. And again, I don't think it's very many people. I think it's just a small group of people.
3: I think the decade of darkness coinciding with the rise of social media is two very interesting uh, phenomenons tied together. Yeah. Right because I don't think there's really been any era I mean human history, the NHL's been around for a hundred years, but there's at no period in, in NHL history has the average person's voice had more resonance than
1: now that's right and and you could even take that a, a step farther when when they look at the those who, people who make comments, uh, it's only about one in 20. 1 in twenty people who've read an article or a blog or whatever that make a comment. Oh shit for us it's like one in
3: Two hundred. One in three hundred.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's very few people who make comments. And when they do, it's often not even really about the article or it's it's just some little piece of the article as opposed to an uh, overall assessment of it. Or I agree or disagree. It's like uh, um, like like I had one comment that said um, you don't need a Ph.D. to tell us that defense matters.
3: Any statement you need that to starts, shoot more the power play, <laughs> for God's sakes. Get, get the pucks to the net. Anybody yeah. starting a statement with, you don't need a PhD. <laughs> it's like when someone says to you, no offense, and then dot, <laughs> yeah. dot, dot. Like, prepare to take a Yeah, break. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's your warning shot, yeah. We'll take a break. We'll come back after this real-life podcast. Have you got holes to dig, earth to pack, and roads to build? Then you need to call Java Machinery Group. Does your equipment need a service? You can't fix stupid, but here at JAPA Machinery Group, we can fix everything else. With a full range of parts to keep your equipment running smoothly, JAPA Machinery Group is a family-operated and Alberta-grown business. Here to help build a bigger and better Western Canada, give us a call or visit us at jappamachinery.com. JAPA Machinery Group, join the family. We're back, real-life broadcast brought to you by our friends at JAPA Equipment Group. It is a full house. At Little Brick this week, and there is good discussion flowing. We have we have a doctor in the house, which is outrageous, because who are we to have anybody knowledgeable uh, in the house? Dr. Hansen. I wonder, sir, when you're sitting here and you're listening to Oilers fans screaming over each other at you in a break, if you're thought that Oilers fans are very passionate but yet somewhat misguided has been confirmed? Or if you think we're actually more open-minded, just don't have access to proper information. What do you think is at work here
1: in the psyche of Edmontonians? Yeah, the, the intention is there. Um, and good intention. The good intention. Everybody wants the Oilers to do well and to um, be a great team again. And I, I believe it can happen. But we might have to think a little bit differently about this. Um, looking at the analytics, defense is important. And so we, ha- we have to play with that and focus on that. And we also have to be open-minded to different line combinations. If you're talking to
3: Oilers fans, I think there's six of them that will be listening to this, and, you're talk- and a guy's saying right now, or gal, you know that's all very well and good for you, ivory academic tower types, but I'm down here in the gutter watching the Oilers squander three seasons of Connor McDavid's career, how do you expect a sentient being to watch this team and not be pissed off? What can you offer us as a carrot to say, <laughs> you know what, guys? First of all, players do hear the environment in which they play. They do get wind of chatter, like, for example, or, or what, what would you say?
1: I've wondered about that, and if I knew and had a really good answer, the Oilers might come knocking. <laughs> they wouldn't get wind of it for twenty years. <laughs> they they might want to want to figure that out too. It, it, the thing with the community is all about relationships, and I don't I don't know to what extent they're trying to build that. This is like Oilers Nation is great because you're you're a, a medium for connecting the team and the community, and um, but yeah, in terms of the like just the, the frustration level is so high, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you use the words wasted. McDavid's time, essentially. And I haven't, I haven't felt that. Um, by wasted, you mean no cup?
3: Oh, I mean he's been in the playoffs once in three kicks of the cast.
1: Once in three. So you would want three for three. Four in three. I would <laughs> like him to have made
3: the playoffs four years out of the first three.
0: Well, the first year made sense because he got hurt. Second yeah. year, clearly, we went and went on a bit of a tear. So now an expectation has been set that... You know, oh, yeah. He's still going to be Conor, Conor David next season. So we expected playoffs last year yeah. and fell very flat on our face.
1: Yeah. That first year, incidentally, just um, as a side note, my son was born right before he broke his clavicle. Is that right? Yeah. It's terrible. I was staying in the hospital holding my son, looking at that. <laughs> this is supposed to be the best day <laughs> yeah. of my life. Yeah. 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 What did you do, son? I said you're Brendan back. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, my son's name is Maverick, which I oh that's I remember, cool. Yeah. cool, wildly that's awesome. indi- wildly independent. That's gangster. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so, but with McDavid, I mean, it's it's coming together. It's coming together. And I actually, not that you can predict this kind of thing, but you see, could. You were going to bet on the
3: Golden Knights s- last year. Yes, I was. You used to make track data before excel you can predict <laughs> that's things. right
1: well every city i've lived in has won a major championship oh shit while wow. so, you were living there yes oh please yes. bring so, the ju-ju oh come on here. yeah so it's gonna happen so we need i don't know when you do a 20-year contract. <laughs> that's an absolute statement i'm in yeah yeah and um <clears throat>
3: but you do think it's coming out you don't yes, think the no, others no. have wasted connor mcdavid's career
1: no no i and i do think that injury was a it's a good thing that that hey, he's better um, because I that wasn't the knee. Yeah, like that the clavicle really, is fine. That really concerned me. Um, but I think it's building. And I, I say these things, and, and people do look, kind of look at me like, well, no, it's not. But it is. It's happening. We just have to think about things a little bit differently. And I've been really concerned about SECRA and that whole thing and then the, eight, you know, the Achilles and what's happened there. I've checked with some PTs and OTs about that, and you can come back from that. So I'm optimistic. You are but. a fine Oilers fan. Yeah, I, like <laughs> like, I took the liberty
3: of contacting a doctor on behalf of nobody.
1: <laughs> well, I was curious because I thought, yeah. well, what? Well, well, this seems really bad. This seems really bad from an athlete's standpoint um, in terms of practice time and recovery. And does Emma know? Is it the same leg? As, Did, as the injury, as was the ACL? Was the, ooh, do we oh, know? Oh, not not sure. I tried to find out, and I, the Oilers I are deliberately vague. They won't yeah. even yeah. say how
3: many legs Sakara has. <laughs> it might be ten legs. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and so. and I believe that, um, and this is controversial too, that Bouchard should play um, this year, but give him a chance. Give him a chance. Um, Here's somebody, here's a a racehorse ready to go, and let's let him go. He looks old too, and as a guy who likes to pull in
3: like totally irrelevant points of data, a guy who is drafted at 18 and looks 36 (laughs) can probably be trusted with an NHL career. So
0: what's, what, what's your basis for saying that he's ready? Is it, is it how he's performing at the junior level and that he's now ready to take the step? Like, what are you using to kind of fund that statement?
1: Yeah. And that's a good and fair question. And it's a mix of those things. So he, he's done phenomenally well at, in the junior level. Um, But I also have this belief, and this is just across sport, NFL, NBA, whatever it is, that if you're drafting that high, If you're in the top 15 or 16, only draft people that are ready to play. Don't be shooting for three or four or five years from now. Don't hold in your head this idea that a defenseman has to have 200 games before we know anything. You don't think that's true? I'd have to look at the data. (laughs) That's a scientist's answer. Yes, but um, I I, I would bet that we would see something different from that. And it's okay to have that belief. I'm just saying being open-minded to – the possibility that someone can come in and excel like McDavid.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're saying, like, give him his nine games, give him a fair crack, like, put him in a position to set up. We don't want to sh- we don't want to jolt this guy uh, and put him on a pedestal and call him a Norris candidate uh, going into his rookie season.
3: That's a very interesting point. What did you make of that whole thing? Do you think that, because you, you mentioned earlier you have a Justin Schultz jersey in your closet? Yes. So again. Massive Oilers fan. Wife has a Yakupov 6'4 jersey. Massive Oilers fan. You're ticking all my boxes she here. She also
1: has Ference. Unbelievable. Because we, we focus on the defense. And I, I, I'm going to say it. Focus I, on the defense. I, I, sh- I shouldn't say this, um, but I just got a Larson. Oh, yes.
3: respect.
0: Respect. I love Larson. You are a
3: fine, fine Oilers fan, sir. I, I, oh, I know yes. that
1: everybody very, has very strong feelings about the Taylor Hall trade, and we could have a different show on that. We <laughs> should.
0: Yes, because we need to shut up a lot of people because I'm very happy for that trade.
3: Oh, interesting. Yes, I mean Somebody who shall go <laughs> <regrow laughs> nameless mouth the words me too.
0: So let's go back. Let's
3: go back to this earlier because I think this is very interesting. And we'll, I think we're going to end this show with a plea to have you back because this has probably been one of the most interesting shows we've done to date. When you say things are turning around for the Oilers, what data points do you have to suggest that? Like what, what do you see other than King
1: Connor of the McDavid tribe? I'm seeing, because um, my whole thing is to step back and look at the big picture and attend to process. And so when I do that, I see things heading in the right direction. I, I'm not anti Shirelli, I'm not anti-McClelland. I like the new coaching hires that You're they've made. You're not anti
3: Shirelli. No. Interesting. Because of your I don't cool have a cool sp- Nebraskan way <laughs> where you don't get pissed
1: <laughs> you off? you cheer for the other team? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he's got the track record, he, you know, in Boston and everything. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I just want to give him a little bit of a chance. He's going to make mistakes, and there have been a few. Um, but I, I, I think he sees the big picture. And once that defense settles and gels, then McDavid and everybody are going to be unleashed completely unleashed um but I, I do want to our our forwards and centers to play defense too like i, I takeaways is a huge analytic mm-hmm. it seems minor but when you look at the data the takeaways matter so i love that mcdavid's oh, doing okay. that all the time you know and dry could could win was it the selkie yeah, Selkie's a defensive, defensive forward. Yeah. yeah, you know he's he has that ability.
0: Well, you want to talk about like playoff beast performances? I thought Drysaddle in the playoffs was like a completely different man. Yeah, like he
1: played like like a beast. Absolutely, and earned that the big huge contract. But yeah. before that, I know it was going to be. Probably less. So
3: you weren't here for the Sean Horkoff years, were you?
1: Yeah, he was here. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, right, right okay. before, right before he went to Dallas, I think. Right. Do
3: you think that the large contract he signed then blows out his shoulder in the All Star game? Do you think the had he not signed that big contract, do you think he would have had as tough of a time as he did? Because I think I feel like mm-hmm. when you're describing players who sort of like stretched, reached for it, didn't get it, and then had the spiral with the fans on their backs all the way into the ground. I think Sean Horkoff was like the first mm. one of the decade of darkness to have that happen to him. What was his contract? $33 million over seven? Six.
0: six. Six? Yeah, it was yeah. like a six and a half. And he blew
3: his shoulder in the All-Star game right after signing wow. it, which is
1: like a very oh. rare, freakish instance, right? Unbelievable. In terms of timing, like, that's...
3: That was, to me, like, the first modern-era poster boy of, like, a whipping boy for the Oilers fans. Really? Okay, so you think that's where it started? I think so, because Sean Horkoff had been a guy who was drafted late, who came into the Oilers with very little expectations, and every year got better, and every year got better, and then they went on the cup run, and he was a beast in that situation, Mm -hmm. and then they started coming unglued. But Sean Horkoff, throughout most of the Oilers' history, wouldn't have been able to play here for big money and that was right when Cates became the owner and he paid Sean Horkoff. And I remember we were all like, "Oh, ho, ho, Sean Horkoff got paid." And at the time, he was a, you know, he was approaching a point of game player for one year there. Mm. Then he blew out his shoulder in the All-Star game. And then everybody got mad, and then everything got bad. And the fact that he was making that kind of money, I think in the minds of workaday like normal Edmontonians was like, "This is unforgivable." You know?
1: Yeah. So that kind of set things in motion. Well, I wonder, like, when yeah. you're talking about
3: the psychology of players yeah. are other players that getting a big reward for a good year ruins their career, ultimately, because they place so much expectation on themselves.
1: Oh, yeah, it can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah, I'm curious, too, like, you mentioned Horkov being kind of the first of the whipping boys. We, you talked about hockey, obviously, as a team sport. Why do you think it is, from a psychological standpoint, that fans will maybe narrow in on one specific guy to be like, no, man, it's your fault. You fuck things up rather than – there are five guys on the ice. He's not doing everything by himself or not doing things by himself.
1: Yeah, so why, why do they do that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would love to know what you think is just kind of like why do we zero in on one guy in a team sport where nothing happens by yourself? Yeah, and,
1: and just speculating, but this, this idea of everybody's a GM, everybody's a coach, and then things snowball – and so somebody gets pegged, whether it's Schultz or Lucic or whomever it is, Eberly, and it just, it does, it snowballs for some reason. And everybody starts then criticizing them more and more and more. And I just, I, I don't have that approach myself. I just don't have that approach myself. This is why, again, this is controversial, but I'm not, I don't look at Corsi much because that's a, that's a, interaction type of a variable where you're looking at uh, combinations of people. You can't really give it just to one person. And so, um, I I, I don't know. I don't know. I I think that's a a really good question though.
0: I'm just so happy that you think that things are turning around. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) I'm very excited for this season. I'm always excited through the decade of darkness and this is where, you know, the Oilers is my barometer of happiness, but going into every season, I always think we have a chance regardless. And then what, what happened over the decade of darkness, talking about how like a team's performance affects your psyche, like as your teams would, especially in Nebraska, you know, you go travel, the Oilers are having a shitty season. You're in Mexico. You run into a bunch of other Canadians from out. east. Oh, you're from Edmonton. Oilers suck. So all of a sudden now I suck. Yeah. And it's amazing kind of, You know how important this team is to our city, and actually, how there is like a direct correlation. I bet you you can map it of happiness to you know how we're doing in the standings. The mood it affects
1: your mood day to day for sure.
2: To end things off on a positive note, I'm curious. Last year, obviously, Oilers had really heavy expectations. Things didn't go well. Do you think there's value in going through that kind of hardship to get out to a brighter spot on the other side?
1: There can be, for sure, and all the research I do and, and the work that I do relates to feedback and creating feedback loops, and so if, you, if the team has um, learned from this, if so they've taken this feedback and what they did well and what they didn't do well and gotten better, then yeah. Otherwise, it could, just, it could go the other way, keep going downhill, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because I do like the new coaches. I, McDavid leads by example. You have you have a lot of leaders on the team actually, including Larson. Larson is a is a leader, um, so <clears throat> it's going to get better. It's going to get better, and I'm I'm excited for the year actually.
3: I am very excited that you came in here and told us it's all going to get better.
0: This has been a breath of fresh air. This I this, needed that. This is the yeah. second time I've gotten goosebumps in this podcast.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm just sad it's over. To be honest with you, I had about three things I wanted to talk
3: about. Let me pitch and, him. Let me pitch him. Yeah, Can pitch. Him. Yeah, oh, yeah.
4: tease P- what. Tease? Like, it's a tease. Oh, I see. Yeah. What, Would you come back on te- our show? Absolutely. Would
3: you be Absolutely. our knowledgeable buddy that we can call? <laughs> and you'll be like, with all the weight of my profession in academia, Wanye, don't go jump in the river and swim to another city because shit's about
1: to turn around? No, stay here. Oh, Stick it out.
3: best. All right. Well, gang, if you go look on at edmontonjournal.com and you look on August 11th, there's an article in the title. I'll give you the headlines. So you just punch it straight into the Google machine. Opinion. Opportunity to play matters as much... Ability for athletes. I feel like there's a word missing. They're missing as. Ah,
1: of yeah. course. As ability. I stumbled
3: over it. Because I, <laughs> you know, I stumbled it. But, Dr. Hansen, thank you for coming in here. And go take a look at his article in the journal. And we'd love to have you back. And this has just been a great hour.
1: Yes, I really appreciated it. And um, this was uh, more fun than I expected. Like <laughs> oh, I said, I, awesome. I, I was pretty worried about it. <laughs> oh. Were you? Oh, shit. No. Don't I you worry about it. I didn't know moment. what I was getting into. Well, thank you for coming. <laughs> yes. right? When
3: weirdos reach out on the internet, the answer should usually be no block <laughs> yeah. and you're done. But uh, that's it, gang, for the real life podcast for this week. Talk to you next week. <laughs> Ghost ride, ghost ride, ghost ride, ghost ride, ghost ride,
5: ghost ride. How old up?